Dave. Uh, we have we're, we're continuing the streak of these special episodes we have with guests. We're a guest-driven show now, it seems, and uh, definitely excited for uh, our guest tonight. Uh, are, you, are you excited, my friend? I am thrilled to talk to the Viceroy of Verisimilitude, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, thank you so much for coming on. Well, gentlemen, uh, you know, when you when the call came in and you told me what you're all about, what you wanted to talk about, what you you offered me uh, uh, some choices. And uh, when I saw one of the choices that you offered me, I'm like, oh, count me in. <laughs> I'm what very if, what excited. If this, what if this movie Contact wasn't on that list? Would you have said, yeah, I'm kind of busy that week? <laughs> or- no, no, there were there were other movies. But, I, you know, there's there's movies there. I think every film fan has movies that they particularly love that maybe not. They, the movies don't get enough love in yeah. the in our space. And. One of those movies is the movie that we're going to talk about tonight. And I'm like, oh, because I don't talk about it enough. It's not a movie that people bring up a lot. Yeah, great. Right. Uh, I'm so glad you picked this one. This one, I think um, uh, this might have been Ben's idea uh, uh, on the list. We kind of tr- we, we kind of have a list and we throw them at a guest and they w- let them choose. And yeah, I'm, I was actually pleasantly surprised that you picked this movie because I hadn't seen it since I was uh, pretty young. It's been a long time. I'd say a good 10, 15 years since I've seen this one. So it was great to to revisit it. Uh, before we get into this, Rob, I, I do have to say that I am a fan of yours. Uh, I've been watching you on, on uh, the Rob Servation's YouTube channel for, I don't know, maybe the last six, seven months. Um, not every day. I'm, I'm trying, Rob, but I, I can get you. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> a couple of times a week, but I, I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, there's two things you said, Rob, that really caught me that I felt like Wow, I kind of identify with this guy, and and I think you really appreciate it. One is Grace Kelly from Rear Window is like oh. the greatest <laughs> woman ever. <laughs> right. Her now, I should say that it's her character, right? Well, of course, you know, like like I uh, when it, look, Grace Kelly is an amazing woman. She's but but when I I meant that like there are there are uh, women in movies, their characters yes, that I, I would love to, you know, and her character in Rear Rear Window, the way. She is. I mean, she's intelligent and spunky and beautiful, and she loves Jimmy Stewart, and and the way she can pack an over a small overnight bag. <laughs> I mean, she's just the kind of woman that you dream of. And of course, yeah. she's in a, she's fictional, but but if you could meet a woman, if, yeah, if you could bring one to life, that <laughs> so it makes me happy that you you caught on that. I love because oh. <laughs> you know no, not many people say that often, but uh, I no, appreciate I, you noticing. It's, it's <laughs> funny right we. We we did an episode on this with our uh, buddy actor Dan Franco. He yeah. um, uh, he, we get, you know, we promote tweets of old episodes every now and then. We keep promoting them, and we prom- whenever we promote the Rear Window episode from I don't know, it's almost been two years now, Probably, Dave. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's this one one uh, Twitter user. Uh, <laughs> I I, oh, I should have his uh, handle right now. Maybe I'll edit it in. Um, but uh, he always mentions, you know, because we'll ask like, what what did you think of great, great uh, Rear Window? And he he always says. Uh, two words, Grace Kelly, Grace <laughs> Kelly, and always has a always has a gif of uh, Grace Kelly. So, so there's, that's three of us at least. But you yeah. know, she's gorgeous. 
she waits on Jimmy Stewart hand and uh, you know hand and foot you know it's a, totally and then she's a woman of status and of course she can pack the bag I mean she is perfect and you're like <laughs> what the hell are you looking out the window for which of course is the point of the movie you know but <laughs> and, and she's also willing to potentially go seek out and 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 smoke out a murderer <laughs> I know to risk of her own life and limb I mean she's an amazing woman character she's it's my favorite apartment. Hitchcock film yeah. oh, love it. I'll go over there. No big deal. Uh, you know, I'll yeah. see what's happening. <laughs> I love you that much. Uh, and then the second one, this one is more humorous, but still true. Uh, you were you were talking one day about, um, and I and actually I played this for my wife. I go, who does this sound like? Which is you were saying how you love Progresso soup, and you and you you heat it up uh, on the stove, and then you eat it out of the pot. That describes my life. <laughs> This is who I am. And my wife goes, that's you. (laughs) It drives my girlfriend crazy. She's like, why don't you put it in a bowl? I'm like, because then I have to clean two pots. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you take it off the pot. It's, 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 It's better. It's more fun to eat from. And then at the end, it's kind of a game I play where the, you've eaten all the, the noodles and you've eaten the chicken and all that, and there's liquid left, and you have to drink it out of the bigger <laughs> and not spill it down your cheeks. It's so a hell of a game because it's like a wide mouth pot. Yeah, yeah, there's a game element to it. <laughs> I have to say, I think uh, after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think Brad Pitt has actually made it cool to eat out of a pot when he makes the mac and cheese and everything oh, yeah. in that scene. So, you know, I mean, that's Brad, Brad Pitt's status right there so oh yeah he's validating us <laughs> uh, but then, yeah i wanted to bring that up because that that's so, it's so funny that one time i just my, my wife didn't know who you were i just played the video and she goes <laughs> okay so you're, you're a weirdo like that guy i get it now <laughs> <laughs> well it's it, to me like when i you know i was married once and and then when i got divorced you have to suddenly you're cooking for yourself all the time and one of the things you don't want is an accumulation of dirty dishes. (laughs) How can you eat effectively? And I'm like, why would you want to pour? I'm pouring liquid. I've already made my soup, you know, and usually when I made progresso soup, I'd make two or three cans of it at once. Why would I, a a bowl couldn't fit all of it in it anyway. And I would usually (laughs) finish the whole thing. So yeah. (laughs) And and to me, it's like, why wouldn't you do that? That's just practical. With the hundred percent. Put it you put it in a smaller bowl and you'll enjoy it more. I'm like no, because then I have to keep going back to the bowl and put it, this. I can sit down in one place and eat it and enjoy it, and I'm done. They just don't get it. No, <laughs> not so much. Uh, now I, uh, you know, obviously. Dave, you failed to mention he's a he's a director. He's oh, a producer. No. He needs he's an editor. Soup out of the pot. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that, well that first. But I, I, you know, in addition to being a soup eater out of the pan or out of the, you know, <laughs> out of the pot, you know, he's a, he's a director. He's a he's a producer and an editor. Uh, you've worked on a lot of stuff, uh, Rob. I mean, you've uh, you know, I, I I've noticed on your IMDb you you do a lot of editing on documentaries how, mm. how, how did you fall into that well it's it's funny i you know i worked uh for full moon entertainment in the 90s and full moon made movies like the puppet master movies and the subspecies movies and we were doing a lot of direct-to-video genre stuff and we were basically making a movie a month and on each one of the movies because they were short they would have what's called the video zone magazine after the movie. And this was on VHS tapes and on laser discs. And so you'd have a movie that was between 80 and 90 minutes. And then this video zone magazine, which would have behind the scenes footage on how, how was this movie made? Mm-hmm. And 
so I, I started working at full moon and one of my jobs was editing those behind the scenes segments. And then I sort of left that. And in the early, well, in 2000, a friend of mine who had a company that was doing special features for laser discs in general, mostly Disney stuff, called me up one day and said, Hey, we're going to do, you know, DVDs are starting to become big and we're getting a lot of money and there's a lot of work in making these documentaries. Would you come work on uh, and do a documentary for me? I'm doing Fantasia. And we're doing the box set of Fantasia and Fantasia mm. 2000. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I love Fantasia. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. So I started doing special features for that company. It was a company called Curdy Pellerin, uh, Jeff Curdy and Michael Pellerin. And I did a, this one thing. And they, they I came back. And then we worked on, I worked on Snow White. I did a feature-length documentary on Tron. I worked on The Emperor's New Groove. And then <laughs> Michael goes, guess what? We were just awarded Lord of the Rings. Oh man. And we're going to work on Lord of the Rings. And suddenly I found myself going to New Zealand for the first time. Oh wow. I was, I was in New Zealand for months at a time recording audio commentaries and shooting behind the scenes footage and doing interviews. And then it was great. Like one day someone says, um, we've set up an interview with Christopher Lee in London. Does anyone want to do it? Everyone's like scared. (laughs) And they all turn and they're looking at me. They're like, Rob, I'm like, I'll go do it, you know? And so then I started, uh, working on, on those. I mean, it was incredible. And back then in the early two thousands, there was a lot of money being thrown at special features. It was a very lucrative business. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I went to film school with Brian Singer and, and kind of, I'd known him for years and I get a phone call from MGM once and this woman from MGM had a friend of a friend that knew that I knew Brian Singer. And they're like, we want to do a special edition of Usual Suspects. And we can't really get Brian. We can't seem to get him to call us back. Would you like to produce it? And I'm like, well, I'll call him and ask him. And I, I called him up and he goes, well, Rob, if you're producing the Usual Suspects special features, I'll do it. Right. And I'm like, well, well okay. And then I went to my boss, Michael Pellerin, working on Lord of the Rings. And I said, hey, man, uh, I've got this disc that I, I'm going to do usual suspects. How about I bring it in here and we can produce it through your company? And he said, we're too busy, man. Why don't you do it on your own time? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> he goes, yeah, start your own company. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I started back in 2002. I started Ludovico Technique. Uh, which is a clockwork orange reference. Yes. One of my favorite oh, movies. Nice. And um, yes. I, 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 my day job was working on DVD special features. I mean, I'm going to London, I'm going to, I'm going to New Zealand, but then I also started my own company and suddenly I did usual suspects. And then a couple, we finished that and turn it in. Then I get a call from 20th century Fox and they're like, so uh, apparently you have been hired to do X-Men and X-Men two. And I'm like, I have, <laughs> yes, uh, Brian Singer uh, wants you to do those, and I'm like, um, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it it sort of went from there, and I, yeah. I first started with Brian, and then MGM. After Usual Suspects, they said to me, they're like, "Well, um, would you like to do any other titles that we have coming out?" And I said, "Well, there are two I'd really like to do. I'd love to do To Live and Die in L.A., and I would love to do Valley Girl, the Nicolas Cage, the original Valley Girl." Right. And they're like, "Okay." <laughs> So uh, Dave Parker, my good buddy, who I work with at Full Moon, he was my editor and we worked together. He came on board. Uh, he did Usual Suspects. He was 
my co-producer and then we work with Greg Carson from MGM and we did the 20th anniversary of Valley Girl, which came out in 83. So this came out in 2003. And then I just kept getting jobs. And after I finished Two Towers, I get a call from Disney and they're like, we really like what you're, you know, you did this feature length Tron documentary. They wanted me to do 15 or 20 minutes and I gave them an 88 minute feature length documentary on the making of Tron for that 20th anniversary. And they're like, we want you to do Chronicles of Narnia because you've been to New Zealand. And I'm like, okay. So suddenly (laughs) I had to tell, yeah, Michael, I'm like, um, uh, we went, my team and I went to New Zealand for 14 months Oh wow! and we were in country for 14 months covering the entire production of Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Man. And then after that, I got another call from Warner Brothers. They're like, so Brian Singer says you're going to do Superman Returns and he wants you to go to Australia for the entire time they shoot the movie. And I'm like, okay. And uh, <laughs> so uh, then we went from New Zealand to Australia. So I was in New Zealand for 14 months and then Australia for 10 months. Wow. And yeah, it was that's... a lot of, it was amazing because I felt, I directed the movie Free Enterprise, the one movie I've directed in 99, came out in 99. And I got so caught up in the DVD world. It was very lucrative. I was traveling all over the world. And I felt that I was learning. I was learning so much about movie making because I was on set with a camera. And usually with my, one of my very good friends was the director. So if they, the director gave me his approval, everybody would talk to me. Right. So it was it was an amazing experience, and I felt it was like going to grad school and watching, oh, I get to watch a $200 million movie getting made, and I get to talk to everybody who's making it. That's great. And it was the greatest, I mean, it was the greatest film education ever. And then during that time, I, I also um, bought uh, the script for Agent Cody Banks and developed it and sold it to MGM. There's a lot of producers on that movie because it was my first studio film, and I'm like, oh, well, okay. Uh, although if you look at the main titles of the movie, which happened at the end, I'm the only producer with a single card credit, which means my name is, I don't share the credit with anybody. It's I'm the co-producer, but I, it's just my name. Every other credit. I mean, Madonna was a producer and she had to share her credit, but I didn't. (laughs) And and then (laughs) take that Madonna. Yeah. (laughs) And then after we finished, I, uh, uh, line the witch in the wardrobe and things like that. We did, um, we went and produced Dave Parker directed. And then I produced the Hills run red, which came out on Blu-ray this week. Oh, and it, okay. it's been crazy. And then, uh, it's just been a very interesting life. Now, would I like to go back to writing and directing movies? Yes, but it's so insane. It's so hard to do that. Um, I've worked right. on so many projects that have come close to getting made and then they don't. Um, it's really, really, really hard. But nowadays I've got a project I've been working on literally for 30 years that I, I think the world is finally caught up to this project that I want to make. Oh wow! So I, I, I hope that's my next directorial effort. But is we'll it uh, an original script or no, it's based on a novel. Okay. It's based on a novel. And I befriended the author when I first moved to California and I actually paid him when I was making good money on, on actually on Chronicles of Narnia, I took some of that money and paid him and he, he wrote a script. Okay. Interesting. And now, so, uh, yeah. I'm tickled. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of uh, Lord of the Rings, I mean, I I don't want to assume, but did you get a chance to meet Ian Holm? I did not meet okay. Ian Holm, unfortunately. Yeah. And he was somebody I met a lot of the cast and crew, but I didn't meet him. Yeah. 
Um, and obviously for, for folks uh, right now, yeah, I mean, at the time of this recording, uh, he did, we get, did get the news that he passed away. Yeah. Uh, we got the news today. I'm not sure if he died yesterday or today, but uh, yeah, we did get that news. But yeah, I was just curious if you had a chance, a chance to meet him. No, I mean, it yeah. was, I had a lot of fun with a lot of the cast, um, but not with, not with him. And I, I you know. I know he never was in the, like the best of health. He he wasn't in bad health. I think when we were doing those discs, I know when he was working on the Hobbit. I think they had to fly and shoot all the sequences in uh, London. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, obviously he was not doing too well. But yeah, definitely a a, a loss uh, that uh, Hollywood's feeling today. And uh, certainly, yeah. Rest but he has peace. such a great body of work. Yeah. I mean. He's so good. Yeah, you yeah. know, all everything. I mean, I remember him, of course, from Alien, but yeah. everything from Chariots of Fire. I mean, he's done a million things. And it's what a what a, what a life he led, and he le- left us with such a legacy of great work. Absolutely, um, and I uh, those movies, the Lord of the Rings films, and the and the and the books uh, have a special place in my heart. And actually, just last week, I, I got my wife to sit down and we watched all three movies, the extended editions of all three, which is a marathon. And uh, it was it was amazing. It was like a, it was just an experience watching all of them. Um, and they hold up so well too. So good. So good. They're so good. And uh, oh. she texted me about uh, Ian Holm and, uh, you know, 88. And, and uh, now she's a fan. She's like, too bad he didn't make it to his 111th birthday, you know? And it was, I know. It just felt like something there. I don't know. There's something about, there's something about that story and that, that just captures you. And, um, well, hopefully he's in a, he's in a, he's happy and wherever he is. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's in the gray. He went to the gray havens. Oh, yeah, exactly. He, he went after Frodo. How about that scene, huh? I'm sitting there. I, I warned my wife uh, about, about that scene. You know, like days. You just ahead. mentioned it. I just got chills. I, know. I said, "There's going to be a point in the movie, in the la- in the third movie, where I'm going to cry like a baby uncontrollably at some point." And, and just she's like, "What? Something bad happened?" I'm like, "No, just just wait." And it's oh, had she not seen the movies before? She'd seen um, she'd seen a Fellowship, I believe, in in the theater, like when it first came out. Uh, well, obviously, because it was in the theater, and I don't think she'd seen any of the others. So, yeah, wow. this was like, yeah, and, I, and I'm like, no, you're not watching the theatrical. You're watching the extended. So that was like, you know, a twelve and a half hour thing over yeah. like you know a week and a half, and it was it was a hell it was a hell of an experience. And I I, I it feels like something I want to do like every you know once a year or something. Yeah, no, it was it was amazing it, to work on those films and to meet the people like I did a lot of interviews for those discs and on two towers I was there for months doing these I mean I interviewed the greenskeeper of Fangorn Forest okay. who literally it, it took it, for like three hours and the interviews <laughs> were so long when I went to when I interviewed um, Christopher Lee yeah. who played Saruman obviously I was in England and it was a five-hour interview Oh my goodness! Wow. He must have been. He must. Was he as intimidating Yikes. as everyone was, or was he like the nicest man in the world? <laughs> he was the nicest, most well-spoken <laughs> man. And I have, I have, I've developed a sort of a technique uh, to interview people, to interview celebrities, and for for DVDs. Because when you're interviewing people for DVDs and and special features, Blu-rays, 4Ks, it's not like it's a press junket. Because what you're what you're trying to do is a much more of a deep dive, and you really want to get a sense of someone's personality, and you're going to be there for a lot longer than 
five minutes or something right. and they're not promoting anything right you're you know you're for sound you're, bites yeah you, we're looking for for stories and we're looking yeah. to find out who the the best special features allow you to get a glimpse into who this person is as an individual so my tactic if you want to call it that is I have to find something about the person that I'm going to interview that I love about them. Something that's very specific that for me, like the movie that we're talking about, I happen to love this movie a lot for various reasons, but I'd have to know something about that person. And when, when it, uh, there's so many things I could have said to Christopher Lee, but when I was going to interview him, the director, Billy Wilder, passed away. Mm-hmm. And he played... Um, Sherlock Holmes' brother, Mycroft Holmes, in The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, in Billy Wilder's last film. Oh, so, okay. So when I, when I went and sat down with him at the Dorchester Hotel in London uh, to sit down, I said, I said uh, Mr. Lee, I, I just want to start by saying I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that Billy Wilder passed away this week. Did you stay in touch? Were you guys, uh, did you guys talk? And in his... In his voice, <laughs> he was like, oh, I spoke to Billy every week. And I, I already miss him terribly. Oh. And he, then he looked at me and he said, uh, like something effective, I very much appreciate you asking me about that young man. Because mm-hmm. he knew that I wasn't just being like, oh, tell me about Saruman. You know, yeah, he knew yeah, that yeah. I was, it was my way of, it's my way of telling my interview subject that I've done research mm-hmm. and that I'm not here to ask you stupid questions. Right. Well, and, I'm talking to you man to man sort of a thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And once you've done that, and even though it, it is a tactic, I have to be able, it has to mean something to me or it won't, you know, it won't play. Mm-hmm. You, but, you, and, and people have to know, like when I interviewed Gabriel Byrne for, for uh, Usual Suspects, I'd never met him. And I go, I was like this, I was like, dude, before we start, I got to just say, I mean, you played Uther Pendragon in Excalibur. Yeah. <laughs> and in the beginning of Excalibur, you rode the dragon's breath across to to uh, <laughs> to the castle and you you slept with Igraine in a full suit of armor <laughs> played by John Borman's daughter. And he just and I was very enthusiastic because I said this to him. He laughed. He's like, no, one is Irish brogue. He's like, no one remembers I was even in Excalibur. <laughs> So, Dude, uh, yeah, that's uh, when you were doing the usual <laughs> usual suspects uh, special features. Was that during the movie or was that after? No, like the, was no, that it was when, after. It was in two thousand one. Because oh wow, okay, because that came time, out ninety five, I believe. Yeah. right, yeah. And and back then nobody was doing these things, but in the early two thousands, these special editions were all the rage. Right, and so. Uh, people would come back and, and that was, you had to wrangle everybody. And I have to say, you know, there's obviously, he's sort of had a, a huge fall from grace, but Kevin Spacey had a, 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 he only agreed to be interviewed for the disc as long as all of the other suspects and Brian Singer were interviewed. Oh, wow. That's good of him. And I thought that was that was a pretty stand up thing to do, yeah. Because he wanted to make sure that all of his fellow actors were represented and the director. That right. it wasn't because he had just come off of a victory for um, American Beauty, oh yeah, second Academy Award, and that was a really stand up thing to do. But it was it was a uh, making DVD special features. I loved it because how else would I get on the sets of two hundred million dollar films and literally. <laughs> 
walk around with a camera all day, stick it in people's faces <laughs> while they were working and ask them whatever I wanted to know. And it was frustrating because I've produced films since then. I haven't, I haven't been able to direct, but I feel like, and a very few of, there's been a very few of us who were afforded these opportunities to be embedded with a crew whether it's Narnia or Superman Returns or X-Men 2, where I was on the set with Superman and Narnia, we were there every single day. And no. to watch a film, I mean, it gives you an insight into how films are produced that you can't get anywhere else. And um, I feel like with the movie I'm working on now, well, that I finished Tango Shalom, my experience now has brought me a, 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 a knowledge that a lot of people in Hollywood just don't have. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to apply it uh, across the board now in a number of different avenues and Excellent. areas, which has been great. So doing the DVD thing was something people are like, well, why didn't you concentrate on your directing career? And I'm like, well, you know, they're paying me. I'm flying all over the world. I'm being <laughs> right, put up yeah. places and, and yeah. I'm learning so much. And it's like at the end of the day, you know, how many people get to be Steven Spielberg? Well, not many. Right. But I'm having these incredible life-affirming uh, experiences working on multiple films and while, yeah, I'm only a documentarian or whatever, but I've still had a great, great, great time. Now, I mean, obviously, I want to get to the topic of the show, but I, <laughs> I still have to ask mm, what, uh, you know, you, you worked with Brian Singer with Usual Suspects and uh, Superman Returns. Is this an industry of it's all about who you know? Uh-oh. <laughs> no, no. Uh -oh. <laughs> no, I think I have to tell you, I think... Hollywood, it, it, there's there's different Hollywoods, and I my my primary experience of Hollywood has been on the production side, actually making things or being on set. Okay, and yeah. that culture is a very different culture than trying to get people to give you money, right. or going to production companies and try and sell your projects or sell spec scripts or that. It's a whole. Like when you're once you're in production, you've already got over that hurdle, and so the movie's already getting made. And that it's it's when you're in production, people there's so much money at stake. Being in a like when you're making a film, it's the one time when you can actually give every second a dollar value, right? Because you're making a movie, you're shooting for twelve hours. You have a twelve hour day, and you have to shoot so many pages a day, and because you know, like, let's say your day, it's $100,000 a day. Well, if you back in the $100,000 to those 12 hours, you can break down, like, each second might cost, right. I don't know what the numbers are, but $10, $20, like, think about that. If every second of your life was costing you 20 bucks, <laughs> well, that's what it's like to be on a film set. So the people that work on film sets are incredibly good at their jobs. And to be, it's not just enough to be incredibly good at your job. You also have to be political. You have to be social. You have to be personable. You have to be all of these things all at once because you have to be well-liked on a film set because if you're not, you cause static. Right. And so people want to work with people they like. Right. And yeah. that means they have to know those people. So mm -hmm. it is definitely true Uh if you know somebody, it's easier to get a job. But then again, you have to be really good at your job. Right. There's really yeah. no mediocre people on a film set, which right. is actually very uh, life-affirming to watch a bunch of people that are really good at their jobs. And a film set, 
runs the gamut. You have the top one percenters, the producers. Then you have a lot of blue collar workers. You've got painters and you've got uh, grip and electric people. And, and it, I, I love being on a set and it's this amalgamation of all different disciplines and people to work together. And the point is to make your day. Make sure that if you have four and a half pages to shoot in a day and you're on four different sets, that you, you make your day. Yeah. And watching everybody work is a beautiful thing. It's yeah. it's really amazing to see. Yeah. No, definitely. So to answer yeah, your question, that's... though, it's partly that. I mean, right. yeah. once, and, once and you I, do... I didn't mean, you know, it's all about who you know, even if you're t- talentless or not. You know, obviously talent's involved and, you know, uh, like abilities involved. But yeah, it also but, helps to, you know, have an I'm, in with someone. No, it does. It does because people want to work with there's there's too much at stake. So they have to know who you are and they have to trust you. Right. And and yeah. it's it's not like well just I know someone's I mean yes, <laughs> at the at there are areas of the business where people get jobs because they know somebody. Right. But for production or editorial or post production and all that, you really need to know what you're doing. Um Right. It, it yeah. helps. It helps if you know people like raising money for projects. That always helps. I mean, it's always yeah. nice to meet new people and all that. But, but ultimately, I do think it's a job that if you want to become successful in the film business, you can go out and make a movie now. And right. and I think that the quickest way, if you want to get into a film career, go make a film. Yeah. Because if you make a festival darling or you make a short that somebody likes, like I work with my friend Lucas Kendall, we made a. 15 minute short called sky fighter that came out last year and um we sold it to the dust network it's a 15 minute short they bought it for their youtube channel oh nice and and i think that there's a lot of that going on now because there's so many talented people around the world absolutely yeah i mean i think yeah now now is an amazing time for filmmakers but at the same time it's yeah i mean it's obviously super competitive and you know it's hard to hard to get, harder to get your name out there than maybe it was in the 70s or you know 60s things like that but uh, yeah there's so much stuff yeah. now there's so much content i mean it's yeah. just insane look at what we're doing on youtube or what right. you're doing with podcasting it's just the oh it's insane yeah it's <laughs> oversaturated <laughs> yeah but uh but uh dave loves my segues uh i was you know i was gonna relate it to ian holm you said about uh, ian holm and him and alien uh which is a science fiction movie and we're actually talking about a science fiction movie called contact (laughs) was that a good fifth element yeah oh yeah that's oh yeah yeah, that's right Uh, Um, (laughs) okay go ahead robin Quickly, <laughs> what are your thoughts? On, do you like the Fifth Element or not? I love the Fifth Element. Okay, <laughs> I think it's uh, you know to me it's like reading it's it's the it's the cinematic equivalent of a heavy metal comic story. <laughs> yes, and I you know yeah. I grew up reading heavy metal. It's very European and it's very French, and it, it's so funny because I'm I'm always telling people that Americans have a hard time. I think with other forms, there's no sense of whimsy. Godzilla movies or kaiju movies are whimsical to, to yeah. buy into giant monsters. And I think the fifth element, uh, the alien, the designs of the creatures and, and what goes on, 
there's a sense of whimsy to it. It's not so grounded in reality. No. <laughs> and I think Americans have a hard time. Like when people watch, I saw Fifth Element, the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood, and I just, I loved it. I was like, ah, this is great. But I, a lot of people saw it and they're like, what? What the hell is this? <laughs> what is this goofiness? I mean, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't buy into the stylization of it. Yeah. The, uh, they just didn't dig it. But I love the Fifth Element. Were, like were, you, were you but, one of the people, Dave, that said, what the hell is this? Uh, I like I, I know where Rob's going, but I, uh, Chris Tarker was a that was a large pill to swallow. Yeah, it was. It, it was. <laughs> Are you kidding? Uh, no, it 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 was. Um, Carbon Dallas. I I I, I I I I I look. I you know he wanted uh um Luke Besson wanted Prince to play that role. Oh, and wow. I'm a huge Prince fan, but I think that that Ruby Rod in that movie is an alien. You know, he's like, even though he's a human being, he, he is like, yeah, it's just the, the problem is that the many different tones of that film are jarring, I think, to American audiences because we're used to we're used to a specific thing see, when it yeah. comes to our science fiction. And, you know, look at the difference. Alien to me is a perfect film that has great verisimilitude that you you believe it utterly. Yeah. You know, you right. buy into this blue collar truck driver crew on the Nostromo <laughs> and and their experience and everything they do seems so real. And the fifth element is is the is diametrically opposed <laughs> to that. It's so different, and yet still it's this goofy, candy colored sci-fi pop euro I don't know what you call it, but it's it's <laughs> certainly yeah. interesting. And I it has comes out of the European comic book tradition, and there's so much goofiness in it. But I love it all. I love that confection. Maybe if uh, you ever come on another episode, we'll discuss that one. All right, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> I because uh, I, I I'm I'm on the I'm more on the lines of you, Rob. I I, I really enjoy that movie. I love it. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's great. So, uh, but uh, but today, as you clicked on this episode, you were expecting contact. But uh, great conversation here so far with Robert Meyer Burnett, and I'm loving it. Uh, but I'm gonna love even more his take <laughs> on the mo- the 1997 movie directed by Robert Zemeckis, mm-hmm. uh, Contact, starring Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, who else is in it, Dave? Uh, James Woods, <laughs> Angela Bassett. There you uh, go. Jake Busey as a Tom religious Scarrett. zealot. Yeah. That you is know? that is Jake Busey. That's oh yeah. I don't know. Which how I think I is a that. weak yeah. point in the film. I'm just yeah. gonna say that off well, the top. We'll we'll save that, Dave. <laughs> okay. We'll save that. Now but you the know cast we, is crazy. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we gave you a list of films. John uh, Hurt as S. R. Oh yes, uh, definitely. In an unexpected talk about role. That. It's like there's John Hurt. Yeah. <laughs> want to take so, a ride? <laughs> uh, all right. So let's just talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I. Uh, I'm totally getting Blade Runner vibes from this scene when we first see him. Yeah, uh, and, cool. and 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 Rob, we uh, we totally just this is a free form talk yeah. about uh, the movie. We don't go in chronological order. Talk to any point you think end. of, just whatever you know. Uh, it's just a conversation about the movie, but. I felt Blade Runner vibes when we first meet uh, John Hurt in uh, the air, uh, 
airplane, the private jet, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, his home uh, that he lives on. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, am I? Did you guys feel that? I mean, is that Blade Runner? I mean, the the well, guy. He, who- it's funny because now that you mention it, he is the Eldon Terrell of the the movie. You right. know, the same yeah. way that Eldon Terrell is is, and they even kind of look the same. They're, right. they're kind of a craggy face, yeah. and the way they speak. <laughs> no, the light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. And, yep. and uh, I, I, I think you're right about that. I mean, I love, I love that character. I love the character that John Hurt plays in this movie, and the fact that he is this industrialist that's obviously suffering from terminal cancer, and yeah. he's 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 probably he's to me he's the you know he's Elon Musk, but Elon Musk right. older and. And uh, I love that character. And I think it's interesting that now we live in a world almost two and a half decades later where there is a guy like Elon Musk who's actually building rockets, you know, changing uh, our technology, landing booster rockets at sea. And (laughs) I love that character. I mean, I think one of the great things about Contact is it's, it's a serious movie, but it also has that kind of delicious, you've got, you're running afoul of of politics in Washington. You've got right. the politics of finding grants, and it it really has a lot a lot going on in the movie. I mean, it starts out as a personal story about a woman who's sort of haunted by the death of her her father and how he put her on this path, and she lives this sort of solitary path or lives a solitary life where she's on this path to find extraterrestrial life she wants to hear she wants to she wants to hear et phone home right yeah you yeah. know and and jodie foster i think is i've I, I like her in the role and what's interesting is you've got robert zemeckis of course who directed who framed roger rabbit and back to the future and you know used cars and this is a, a, a based on a book by carl sagan the great carl sagan right so you know and it, it really what i love about this film is that it poses a very plausible first contact scenario right in in that we you know we we there's a the signal and, and we've been getting we have been getting signals from space that we don't know what they are now but right. at the time a signal comes from space it starts out as a simple mathematical signal and then these plans are downloaded um and it, the aliens assume they're like okay we're broadcasting this not necessarily to earth, but they're coming out from Vega and whoever wants to listen to them or hear them, or if they can, if, if a race can hear them and decipher them and do build this machine, then they can join the galactic community. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really, I love the premise. I love that whole premise. And I love, like, I love real space stuff. I mean, I mean, the Apollo program when I was a kid was a big deal. And, and I think that the the whole premise of this film, it's I think it's a very elegant movie. It's both elegant and pulpy at the same time. Right. It's got and, that '90s uh, cheese to it at points. Yes. I find it charming. You know, I, mean, I, I yes. do too. Yeah. I mean, like it's, you have uh, the blind William Fitchner character. Like that's such a '90s move. But I I kind of like it. You know, he's blind, so he, but he can hear really well. You know, ah, <laughs> I put in, just I cool. put I like when it. I was when I was watching it for the show. I put in my notes like, what was the plot device to have him blind? And then I I sort of figured it out by the end <laughs> that you know obviously you know he has the heightened. It, 
<laughs> yeah, heightened senses. You know, he's heightened hearing, and he can hear uh, things that are going on at the end with Jodie Foster's character. So yeah, I mean that. But and but also I, the static. I mean, he's yeah. when he hears the signal, yeah, yeah, he yeah, understands right. that there's yeah. multiple. There's 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 harmonics in these signals that were not that are not readily apparent. Right, and that, that's just such an interesting uh, character for that actor because you, you don't see him in no. in something like that. Usually, he's you know a villain. It seems like uh, comes to mind is uh, Dark Knight uh, for some reason, yeah, or Heat. You know, he's, yeah, he's, he steals. Yeah. He he rips off money. You know, right? And, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's great. Yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. Go I ahead, like uh, going back to the William Hurt character and then Jodie Foster. It's sort of What's great about this movie, and I guess this may, I didn't read the novel, but maybe what, what Sagan was maybe going is trying to square this circle, right, between science and some sort of a destiny, some sort of a meaning. They keep talking about this in the movie. And this movie does kind of show you a path, right? We don't have to be – it's not like science versus faith necessarily, you know, in conflict altogether. And it, we're kind of left with, well, we don't know, but we're still trying to figure things out. And, mm-hmm. you know, the more we learn, the closer we're going to get to a reality. And even even the movie itself, but even by the end, I, even though it doesn't quite give you all the answers, I still found them satisfying because it was like another I, I got up to another like rung on the ladder. You know, we're, we're, we're still climbing. We're moving forward. Um, so I appreciated that about this film. And yeah, Jodie Foster, she's great. She's she's I like the establishing her as a, as a kid for kind of her purpose and then uh kind of it does feel like she was kind of chosen right when you guys agree with that like between with you know her getting that alien extraterrestrial signal and then of course uh the hurt character the elon musk character he sort of chose her too right he kind of found her and yeah yeah following her career like when she goes and and what i what i really like about this movie it's it's a number of different movies in one so, you know, you've got it starts out, you meet Jodie Foster and then it cuts to her working at the the in Puerto Rico at the giant uh, the Arecibo radio telescope there yeah. and where she meets Matthew McConaughey and they kind of have this relationship. And you think, oh, is this going to be another McConaissance rom-com thing? And, you know, <laughs> and he's he, Palmer Yost or Jost Palmer. He's a he's a man of the cloth. Yeah, Joss, you know, but he's yeah. but he's a hipster yeah. man in a cloth, and he's not. He's, he can still sleep with a yeah. hot, hot young woman. He meets. Yeah. I, I didn't want to stay celibate, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to wear the cloth. But you know, they, they have this relationship, and then it then it goes to the extension. They go to the VLA, the very large array, where where she's working and working for SETI, and you meet these other cast of characters, um, and which is great. They've got this great kind of this hippie scientist enclave that's at the so that's fun yeah and and then when they get the signal and it's such a it's really well done like when they when they get that signal and she ties in all of the different radio telescopes and moves them in to get the signal and then they check with other places in the world i mean it's really great and you know this movie was post x-files so the x-files had already been on and they dealt with those things like and so it was kind of in the zeitgeist when it came out but then those see, and then suddenly the military swoops in, and it becomes the conspiracy thriller. Like the government, they're all pissed at Jodie Foster for telling people about this, and what does it mean? Yeah. And then suddenly it's like, will the right wing politicians, exemplified by James Woods, quash <laughs> the 
the this incredible information and he's like what if they're going to invade us and of course then you have angela bassett she's she's the smart black woman that's like the voice of reason <laughs> she's the democratic right well she's you know she's the michelle obama my 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 husband could be president you don't know i mean he's not because yeah. clinton's president but 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 it but it's so you have the political the the red and blue in those two characters. Well, which how is good great. are both of those actors in that, in that going back and forth? Aren't they so oh, nice? They're <laughs> so, and, and first of all, I, I, truth be told, I, I have a huge crush on Angela Bassett and I, I fell in love with her in Catherine Bigelow's 1995 movie, strange days okay. where, which is a great science fiction film where she plays uh, Lenny Nero, the character Lenny Nero, Nero played by Ray Fiennes. She plays his bodyguard and she's like wow. a total badass. And people were saying, you know, if they ever make an X-Men movie, she should play Storm. And, <laughs> oh, good and call. That's back true, then, yeah. she should have. I mean, she's Way a little better. older. Yeah, but, but still. Um, she's badass. I, I love Angela Bass. I think she's beautiful and sexy. She's amazing in this. And by the way, where the hell has James Woods been? Sorry, I just... Yeah, well, well you know, I mean, he, per- he's perfect role for him being a right wing, you know, conservative uh, guy. But what's cool about this is there's the duality of you've got Jodie Foster and you've got Matthew McConaughey and the idea of faith versus science. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's the and main then, theme. And yep. then you've got the Democratic and the Republican points of view in the government and who's going to do what. And we have these incredible debates. And then there's this idea. You've got the science element. You've got the the John Hurt character, the S.R. Haddon character, who's like, I am at the forefront of all technical technological advancement. I'm actually above both literally and figuratively. I'm above the world. I'm above all these people mm-hmm. and I can call the shots. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's the great, I mean, they're doing all the scientific explanation. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where Jodie Foster gets summoned to go see SR Haddon and get on his plane lands at this oh. lonely airfield and then he, they have this great conversation about how I've been watching your career and you've come to me for grants and, you know, you're one of my biggest investments and apparently it's paid off. Well, that's you didn't know that. It's uh, it's almost like that's a, a juxtaposition with her, her meeting him and then her meeting the alien, which turns out to be a vision of her father. You know, they downloaded information of her that aliens did. And then SR, what is it? SR? SR Haddon. SR Haddon. Uh, He, he, uh, you know, he totally has information on her. So, I mean, there's like a a comparison there. You know, it's, uh, you know, they got this human figure who knows everything about you and everything like that. But then. You go to this it's alien like kicked world up a and, level, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what uh, what's interesting is that these different characters they reaffirm that Jodie Foster's character is pure of heart, mm-hmm. right? Like her, her, and and even at the same time, she gets. I love, uh, I love when he says to her that she's she's in, I mean, she's discovered the signal, but then everybody wants to take credit for it. Tom yeah. Skerritt. Oh, he's stepping all he, over her. He's stepping all over her. He, <laughs> he's so Tom Skerritt again from alien and top gun. I he's mean, great. he, he wants to take, he's like the head of sciences for the government or something. And right. he, he, he's, that's the guy credit. who gets, gets chosen first, right? To yeah. Get he gets to, chosen yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's so great that all these people, how suddenly it shows how politicking works and all that. And then, the idea that this is the biggest event in human history and and what all that means. I mean, what I love about this movie is it's just so much fun to watch because it's so interesting as it moves along. Yeah. 
and it deals with so many it's like watching 10 movies in at once <laughs> it really is yeah i mean it's uh i i mean quite honestly i've i've uh, last time i saw this was probably late 90s right um it's uh you know i i forgot how actual uh actually philosophical it was you know yeah. i i didn't realize uh, how how deep it was and yeah this uh it it hit, hit in all the right points uh, yeah. uh for me um well even when they're just know. trying to decide who's going to be that one person to who's going to go into this thing that they've created which by the way all of that was really cool figuring yeah. out what the signal was and how they like oh they, it's so compelling yeah well we get this tri- they 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 sent back well they got the transmission from Hitler from the Berlin games in 36 which is apparently was like the strongest signal earth had ever sent well that was the first signal that was okay, the actual yeah. the very first brought yeah. and even then you know what i love about that i love that scene it's such a great scene there's and it, there's this great cut to james wood he's like when james woods when you see that it's the nazis he turns and kind of goes okay and like <laughs> and like that that is the that's the moment when they're like Oh, James Woods is like, okay, now the military's coming in. We're locking yeah, this all down. Exactly. And, and, so- and, 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 and it's funny because then cooler heads prevail and they're able to say, uh, no, this was the first broadcast that goes into space. Right. That was right. it's just because it was the Nazis that for as, as horrible and evil as they were, this they were. And so I think it even, especially today, when we're talking a lot about where is America and what is our past? We're pulling down statues of people that existed 250 years ago and we're judging them on our, our time today. Mm-hmm. There was a reality to life 200 years ago that is not the same as today. Yeah. And, and to pillory our historical figures for transgressions that we have now come to understand uh, a quarter of a millennia later were bad. Uh, we're, we're this knee-jerk reactionary uh, stuff that we do now is counterproductive. Now, if there was nobody around in this movie that understood that said, no, 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 wait a minute. These aliens are not fans of Hitler or national socialism (laughs) or the Nazi party. This just happened to be the first broadcast that was ever, um, that was ever broadcast from earth. It's the first one they could have received. Now, if there was somebody like nowadays on Twitter, somebody would be like, Oh my God, these aliens. I mean, they're promoting (laughs) right wing knots. I mean, it would have been so ridiculous because this, this knee jerk, uh, let's burn it all down. Uh, No, let's stop. Let's think. And I love that this movie is all about that. It's all about offering different points of view and people have to stop and consider, and on one hand, you would think that uh, it's it's going to be pro science and anti faith. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the obvious thing, but it really isn't. And with Matthew McConaughey, and there's that great sequence where she's when when Jodie Foster's being questioned, will she be the one to represent Earth to go on this machine to yeah. do whatever was going to happen? <laughs> and they ask her that Matthew McConaughey asks a question about God. You know, do you believe in God? And if you're a representative of the human race, which is whether you believe in God or not, you can't deny that the human race has been been shaped by our belief in a deity. We have we have the the Bible, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita. The, what, the I mean, the the year it is. It's 2020. That's uh, 2020 years since Jesus. <laughs> right. And uh, I mean, it's and it's like in a way. 
if you don't have necessarily, and I, this always struck me because I'm a man of science and I'm, I'm not, I, 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 I'm not a man of faith really, even though I was raised in the, in the Jewish faith and I did go to Sunday school a lot and I did learn Hebrew and I was bar mitzvah and all that. I'm, I, 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 I'm not a believer. And yet when I watch this movie, even I have to recognize that to be a representative of the human race, yep. you have to have an understanding of faith and how faith and religion has been such a large part of, of our world growing up. I mean, even before, like before the Judeo Christian tradition, you had the gods of Olympus, you know, before that you had the, the, the Greek, the, the um, Egyptian gods and set and whatever the gods of sun and, 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 if you didn't have a real understanding of that's where we're coming from, you might not be the best representative right. to go. And, and I, I thought for sure that, Oh, uh, of course you're on Jodie Foster's side, but when that question gets asked of her and you realize therein is the end of her chances of being picked to go on this mission, uh, you know, so, that it's a I'm, great moment and it makes you yeah. think you, you go, wow. You know, but he had a, Matthew McConaughey is quite, he asked a good question. He asked a question that was valid, right? And I, but, well, I think that was r- the- real quick. I mean, you have he asked a question that was valid. You know, do you believe in God? But why do you think he asked that in that moment? Like, what? Why was it so important to him? You know, I so, I know he says later that you know I just didn't want you to go because I didn't want to lose you. But why? Why do you think it was that important to him for him to ask him that in ask her that in that moment? I think because she might be going to meet. God. I think oh. that 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 if there yeah, is that's a good you know, point. You know the idea of you know we don't know but this is the first this is the the modern equivalent of a burning bush this message. Right. It's it's prophetic. It's it's a machine. It's talking to us in the language of science when right. before uh, if God really sent Moses down or with the Ten Commandments or whatever, mankind was never in a position. We didn't have science yet or certainly in a primitive situation. So if if there is a God and God spoke to us before in a certain way, now he's speaking to us in the language of science, which would have to be, I mean, he created it, right? He, she, it, whatever. The right. God who created the universe, mathematics and science is what he used. You know, the governing laws of, of the universe are that. And if she is adverse, like what if if she was actually going to meet God and this being was or it or whatever this, who, who knows? But yeah. this cosmic entity out there, if she didn't believe, she might have rejected that person or that entity or that right. thing. Yeah. And maybe it's a person who has faith that would be more apt to be open to whatever it was that was out in the great beyond that is waiting on the end of the, the phone. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, sorry. No, I, I, I that's a great conversation, but yes, I think she had to learn that lesson, which is you have to learn some humility to, yes, to get into this project. You, you can't just be super smart science lady who knows everything and you're going to walk in and just, you know, <laughs> own the bar or whatever. Right. You know, there's there's something far bigger than you, and you got to kind of you know keep that in, in mind. And I think to your point, Rob, and this is sort of how I feel, which is I don't know what I believe in God. I don't know what that means, <laughs> to be right. honest. I don't know if it's you know on written in in the holy books or you know people talk about like a simulation. 
And I'm sure you've heard that. You know, well, somebody built the simulation, right? Do I call that God? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And I, I think, and I think that, again, you used the word humility. Like, there is something greater than me. I don't know what it is. But at least if I can touch it, then I have to, you know, sort of, I have to have kind of an open mind about what it is yes, I'm going yes. to experience. Oh, open mind is is key there, Dave. Right. I, I think that's 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 definitely a theme of this movie. Obviously, the existence of God, the existence of of life out there. I'm also I believe there is a God. Um, I you know, um, but I think this movie, you know touches on that obviously that subject but you know what uh, <laughs> what what is god obviously and everything like that but you know it's, it's just like it's sort of a train to- that we're all kind of together and we're all trying to figure it out i mean when she meets her her dad uh you know here we are to the end of the movie he doesn't really know either but he's right, a little right. bit farther along than you are and now what, you're like what a- catching up what I'm saying is, that. yeah, yeah, definitely. And and what, what I'm saying is, you know, we can't we can't uh, uh, judge people on what they believe because I mean, as uh, Matthew McConaughey said to her, you know, she's you know he asked her something about God, and then he said, or she said, like prove it, and he said, well, yes. do you, did Great you love your da- yeah, did you love your dad? Yeah, and you uh, he said, prove it. And it's like, how do you prove something like that? Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's such a powerful uh, statement on on that, uh, this subject. Like, it's, it's again, so philosophical that it's almost hard for me to comprehend, uh, you know, just... Uh, a high school graduate here, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not a, I'm that's not a... <laughs> why, I mean, that's why I think this movie is so worthwhile to watch. Right. And I, I find myself coming back to this movie over yeah. and over and over because those questions, you know, one of the things that I think is unfortunate about where we are, especially in America now is that we've become so tribal and we're all split down the middle. You either believe this or you don't believe that I'm in this side or that side. Right. When, when, when in actuality, like one of the great things about what I've discovered in my old age, one of the great (laughs) things about Americans is that Americans always see the possibilities in something. And let's say, you know, you live in a small town and you might have 20 different people that have 20 different viewpoints, personal viewpoints. But if there's something that needs to get done, like somebody's house needs to be fixed. All 20 people will show up. You'll all roll out to help your fellow neighbor. And despite your differences or your beliefs, you understand that your neighbor's house needs to be fixed. And we're we're not going to get into an argument about what our belief systems are. Uh, We're just going to fix the problem. Right. And and that's what I think is is really interesting about this particular film is that they everybody you think they're villains. But they're even 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 uh, James Woods at the end of the movie, even after all the movie's gone down, mm-hmm. you know, there's that great exchange. It's one of my favorite exchanges in a movie. It's just such a little thing. But but when they're when Angela Bassett is talking to James Woods and and no one has believed that that Ellie, uh, Ellie Arroway actually had this experience because the, the indicators it just looks like the, this machine that she was in yeah. the, the capsule like a photography just fell through from 50 different cameras or whatever yeah, it was and yeah. it, and then 
And then they're having the conversation, and, and Angela Bass is like, what I am interested in is the the her camera and the 18 hours yep. of static that it recorded. Yep. And then James Wood says, yes, that is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> and, 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 it and it leaves you with hope in that, yeah. okay, that these characters, that the, the Democrats and the Republicans are, they, they now have a piece of irrefutable evidence that they both have to acknowledge that there's something here. And if this movie kept going or they made a sequel, you'd probably see James Woods and Angela Bassett working together, moving forward together because they've both listened to the evidence. They're smart people. And despite their ideological divide, they now can work together for the greater good. Yeah. And, and yeah. I love that the movie ends, ends with that kind of note. Right. I think this movie unexpected. is ripe for a sequel. Just I'll say real quickly. I think well, yeah, I was thinking I, this one. I'm like, wow, why didn't they come back to this? This is a great. This is so set up for one. Well, it also bothered the one thing that the one mistake that I think this movie makes. It kills me every time. Is why don't they just send somebody else through the machine? <laughs> that's, I mean, yes, they never they never <laughs> say it can only be used once. Just right. Turn the turn the yeah. turn the fucking thing on again and go yeah, through. Yeah, just you know. <laughs> yeah, they they only say it's only you know, you only have one you know. There's only room for one person, but yeah, send send someone else. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's always because at the end, like she goes through and nobody believes her, and they don't do a good job. They never tell you in the movie that the machine can only be used once and it's burned out or the bearings burned out. We can't fix it. They never say that, and it's always bothered me. I'm like, send somebody else through, you know, and see what happens. Because and another thing that's bothered me is, uh, you know, uh. The 90s CGI, it didn't yeah. age well. It did not age well at all. No, no, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, and at the time, there was a lot of really, um, really impressive effects. Right. But, yeah. But, but now, yeah, the, the movement yeah. of ships, like right. the plane that takes her behind you and it takes you over to the yeah, Hokkaido yeah. Island. It's, um, it, that first is explosion a, is really bad. When, yeah, the, when the horrible Gary Busey, or I'm sorry, not Gary Busey, um, with Jake Busey, Jake Busey. the other Busey, the bomber. Uh, I I didn't like that whole scene. I didn't like the subsequent explosion, how it looked. I had a real problem with that whole subplot. But no, yeah. and he's so that Jake Busey. Look, I understand a religious zealot protecting his beliefs and all that, but it's really cliche. <laughs> it's yeah, so the obvious. fact that he's wearing this like long wig and he right. like 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 come on, nobody noticed he <laughs> how they let him in there. How do you get past security? Yeah. I mean, there's a little. That's a little goofy. So over the top, but uh, again, I think it does uh, send the message of you know how can science and you know religion coexist? Because again, again, I believe in science. I believe in all that, but I also believe that there is yeah. a higher power. Um, yeah, and, I don't think there's I a think way this, to really. Oh, sorry. I think this movie teaches that, not teaches, but kind of conveys that. You can believe in God, and you shouldn't be judged for that or looked at as small for that. And you can also believe in science and shouldn't be, you know, belittled and think you're small for that. Like it's no, and I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's the great strength of this movie is that it does not pillory. It does not come out and 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 destroy the the uh, the uh, religion. You know, another you know, like the Rob Lowe character. 
Yeah. Rob Lowe is in this movie. You know, he's playing yeah, a know. he's playing another another the uh, sort of a red state Ridiculous. Uh, Republican <laughs> zealot. You know, and and uh, we he he's I mean, and let's face it, Bill Clinton's in this movie playing I, himself. I know. Yeah. I wanted to mention this: the way the, the the two technical highlights for me. One is just sound. The sound overall in this film mm. is amazing. It's and number, amazing. Yeah, and number two, the way they handled Bill Clinton in this film, it is so cool. Yeah, uh, especially that press conference where the camera kind of just goes to the monitor. Yeah, you know, and then whenever anybody, it it feels so. Talking about I mean, verisimilitude, Rob. Yeah, you, know, you you're in just this thing where you don't have to see the real guy talking about the aliens because the way they're setting it all up, it just works perfectly. Yep. I mean, the, these are actual clips of Bill Clinton, right? right I yeah, mean, he, talking yeah. about God okay. knows what, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> it just, they, I loved how they uh, incorporated it into the movie to make sense and everything. Uh, that was re- very well done. Fantastic. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised even after watching this again. It was, I was basically watching it with fresh eyes. This is basically the first time I've seen it, I, I would say, just because it's been so long since I've watched it. Uh, but yeah, just and you're older, with, you know, you're right, smarter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And well, I don't know about smarter, <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> you know, can I say a negative? Yes, please. David Morris as the dad, it doesn't work for me. I, I really? want it to work, and it's just maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I see him more as like a bad guy in a lot of other films or something. Right. There's something about him, it just doesn't quite work for me. He's too stiff or something. Not 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 loving enough to her for her to hold on to. I don't know. Um, I could be wrong there. Well, well, right or wrong, but maybe disagree or not. I you know I like him in the beginning of the movie because she's a little girl. And they have this relationship. But what I, I really think that the, it's a, the one thing that I, like when I watch this movie and I watch it a lot, I always turn it, I I always skipped through when she travels to Vega, I always skip that whole part. I don't like when she goes through the machine. I don't like when she goes. And when she talks to David Morris, I don't like that. I I like when she comes back because I'll, I'll tell you why. Okay. Because nothing happens in that right. scene that's what i was frustrated with and that's what i kind of wanted to talk to you guys about is just she kept repeating what, what, i don't know what, what did you was, got, like, i'm getting a lot of vibration or some. she kept saying the same thing over well, and over yeah, again like yeah i'm uh yeah oh yeah i forgot what she said but yeah and the mean, headset became what, very distracting okay yeah good to go good to go yeah, yeah, yeah good to go when, when she actually got on the planet yeah i mean i was wondering what your guys thoughts were on that you know when i was watching it well, just what I, I mean, uh, what what's ha- what what what's happening there? I mean, is it just you know him? J- is the, is the bottom line that hey, humans have a long way to go. We're eventually going to get there. We're eventually going to get to other life. Like what what? What's, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, well, go I ahead. just I I felt I feel it's a huge letdown to be yeah. honest because you here she goes through this conduit system and it's it's cool seeing the other galaxies and the way she travels and there's truly a sense of wonder there the beauty of the universe the infinitude of creation and what's really interesting is this talk of science and and faith regardless the universe the infinitude of the universe is staggering in its beauty and its conception and the idea like what I was missing from this film is we're never going to know where the universe came from. We're just not going to know. 
but the idea of God itself is is contained in the heavens. You cannot, if if you start studying just how big the universe actually is, right? It is so astonishingly, incomprehensibly huge that it is divine yeah. in its, its conception. It's, it's beyond human comprehension. Yeah, it truly is beyond human comprehension. And the movie makes you feel a little bit of that, but then. When you get to the end and you're on this, you're on this beach, this tropical beach, you know, and the water's lapping up, and it, it just seems like it reduces its leading up. Now, I'm not saying it has to be this ambiguous 2001 ending, but it, it needed to. What I wanted from the film is I wanted some kind of epic, philosophical, and visual feast. Yeah. That that all of the the traditional narrative structures that we've gone through with the government conspiracy, the I lost my father, falling in love with a guy, and science versus faith, and all of that. I wanted something at the end of the film that that made me give that gave me a sense of wonder, awe, and wonder. Was this a I, technical problem, Rob? Um, no, I, I, I think it's a conception in that you all you end up having is that you have she just has a conversation with her father, mm-hmm. and that conversation is not very profound. The the the, the there's nothing there's no profundity in it. So you're sitting there and you're waiting you're waiting for some kind of a revelation yeah. in this movie, something that leaves leaves you with I don't know the ultimate questions to ponder. And he's like, yeah. well, we don't even know who built the conduit system yeah, that got you here. True, it's yeah. it's and, already here, and and you know this is how it's done. Small moves or whatever. And I'm thinking moves, to myself, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, what do do we send somebody else through? Like, <laughs> and, and and then the, at the end of the movie when you see Ellie teaching again, she's teaching these kids. I'm like, wait a minute. If she's gone through this thing and she's had this experience, she's going to wind up back where she started from at the very large array teaching kids. Well, it'd be a big waste of space. She knows that there's alien civilizations. She should be at the forefront. Like if I'd made this film, the end of this movie would be her with a like at the end of Close Encounters or something with a team of people. They've built a bigger machine and they're going to send a new group of people through. And you realize these are the first pilgrims, like they're not coming back or something. I yeah. mean, maybe that's just me. It just I, seems like we get to the film and it's unsatisfying. I I a hundred percent agree. I mean, I I do think that we were expecting a bigger payoff. But when you look at the actual message of the film, I think it's about her learning that things aren't always about science. Things you're not going to get the answer, right? Right. You're things not going to just solve be, the equation right. and figure it all out, kind of a thing. thing. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely yeah, right. Thing, I completely agree. Things can be taken on faith. You know, they can be. You know, we're we're supposed to believe that on faith, even as she says at the end with, you know, when she's going through the Congress hearing and everything like that. So, um, no, I mean, I totally agree. Yeah, I would love to have a better answer from the alien who was her father. <laughs> you know, I, I would absolutely love that. Yeah, she's um, looking like Roy Snyder on 2010, just yeah, right. in the same set, I think, the same that same satellite array. Uh, and re- real quick, I, I don't know how you feel about 2001. We 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 here at Blockbuster Mentality actually uh, absolutely love 2001. We've called it uh, our 
we, you, we we consider it the greatest film ever made. So. Yeah, uh, 2001. Um, but uh, you said the wormhole didn't work for you. But uh, how do you feel about 2001 and the <laughs> not wormhole, but that last scene oh, before he well, gets to the <laughs> St- you know, Stanley that. Stanley Kubrick is my favorite director of all time. Oh, okay, nice. And and I think 2001 is the greatest science fiction film of nice. of all time. Nice. And you know, I I I think the the end of the movie, the the when Dave Bowman shows up in the, you know, the hotel room, for lack of a better word. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like that because the idea of of you know the aliens have prov- or, or this presence, this entity, they these entities have provided a surroundings that he can comprehend in a completely right. uncomprehensible situation. Right. And then he reaches that next stage of evolution through he goes through his life and then evolves into the star child at the at the end. I, I think that, you know, that's incredibly profound and you can use it you can use it as a metaphor for anything, enlightenment or learning or 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 the next stage of our evolution. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. But but this film <laughs> has not been ambiguous. I mean, this film right. is is scenes and when you get I felt like the end of the movie that the, the scene well, this, when she, sorry but this one comes out and says we thought you were doing this to make you feel more comfortable which is clearly what we you can deduce by watching 2001 you know right. david morse character just comes out and says it <laughs> right no absolutely right we're making but but the thing is she's this scientist that's figured all this stuff out and i i felt like the movie at the end it didn't it didn't do something that was creative enough or compelling enough for the rest of the movie. And it's the only, I, I love everything else about this movie until you get to the end. And it's like, okay, but you're not, what are you saying? Like, like, right. and I understand like she, the, the, the idea of faith and science, but we see her go to Vega. We see her have this conversation with her father. So she, she knows what's up, but everyone else like Palmer Joss at the end, Matthew McConaughey is like, well, I believe her. Well, of course you believe her. So do we, because we watched it happen. So this idea about about science and faith, what would have been more interesting to me is like the the David Morris as the alien goes. Well, these conduits were already here, so those conduits could have been divine. You know, they, right. the, 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 the the all of this, yeah. all of the infinitude of creation, could very well be divine. And the idea <laughs> yeah. that that when science finally reaches the, the mountain that religion's been talking about, the religious philosopher and the scientist will be standing on the top of the mountain meeting God at the same time, you know, because they've been coming at this thing from two different situations, two right. different points of view. Just and give me I some wanted- fake mythology. Give me like three or four lines of these people did something and they did that thing and we're figuring out that. And then just <laughs> name them and call them something. And then, wow, okay, so no, here, here's a whole new war- that's world building, right? Instead, no, he's like, well, I don't fucking know. <laughs> no, Dave. Yeah. yeah, humans aren't ready yet. You know, well, it's little, <laughs> little, little steps, little clicks or whatever he says. But then, but then, come on, but Dave. again, they've built the machine <laughs> and I keep asking, okay, little steps. They built this giant machine that still exists. So are they going to start sending people through? Like, like how right, do we join? Yeah. Like when you say little steps, I'm waiting. I was waiting for what is the next step? Like yeah. what, like, like wouldn't Ellie Arroway be at the forefront of she's already gone. She's already gone to the new world. She's been our one ambassador. She knows it exists. So we should leave her rather than talking about, well, it's a great, it's a big waste of space if there's no one else up there. It's like she already knows there's no one else up there. So why are you leaving her in a position where she's teaching children 
about like answering like she's gone back to like we're welcome. Um, here's the elementary school class from whatever school, and let me talk to you kids about like here's a woman that's like she would have been at the forefront. Yeah, and, and I I just think that the message my my biggest criticism of the movie is that the message gets muddled at the end. Yeah, I um I like to you know I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I just like to play devil's advocate a little of course. bit. Uh, you said uh you know we saw her go through that and everything. Um. You know, you look at Clockwork Orange. I mean, he's having sex with a girl at the end. Is that really happening? Is you know, is that is that really what's going on there? You know, you and I'm I'm that's the first movie that came to my mind. Uh, but there's there's other movies that you know. Well, we I have see, an answer. We, I we, mean, we see things on screen, but they might not have actually happened. I, I personally, I believe it did happen. I'm just. You know, playing devil's advocate here. Well, I think, okay, I think that's a really, Clockwork Orange is a really interesting, um, Clockwork Orange is one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah. And and for me, the the really difficult thing about that movie, the great philosophical question that it asks is, for human beings, is it better to have free will and you have the ability to choose to do evil? Right. Or is it is it better that you have your free will taken away from you if you only are forced to do good? Right. And that's and at the end of Clockwork Orange, you know, remember he's whenever he's fantasizing or dreaming, he can't even think about violence or sex or whatever. Right. So at the end of the movie, that image of him, I was cured, all right. You know, and he's frolicking with that girl, that's in his mind. His mind has been. That's the image. Yeah. I think. So you you think within the film, it's clear that that's just a vision. That's yeah. Just that's a, that, that's his yeah, vision because yeah. he's okay. gonna go do that. But he's yeah, that been, makes sense. You know, yeah. he's been. That's the way he's I was celebrated read it. for his like. He's he's like pure again. He's gonna have beautiful pure sex in front of a, <laughs> a group or or of or, or t- start another gang, which is. Right. And we'll I think there. that's the really difficult. That you know, I used to show. When I was a kid, I, I was the first kid that had a VCR, you know, videotape deck for, and I would show people that movie. I, can you explain VCR to our audience? I, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just well, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and what was funny was there was a time when there weren't, they, they didn't have them, and and we were one of the first people to have one. And I, I worked at a video store; so there weren't any of those either. When I was 13 years old. I was I shouldn't have been working there, but I was. Because I would just show up there and hang out, and they couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> Might as well so pay him. <laughs> when Clockwork Orange came out, I had seen in the wake of Star Wars. There, I'll, I'll tell you a story. There was a book. It was a, I think it was a British book. It was called Sci-Fi Now by a guy named Alan Frank, and it was a pictorial history of science fiction films up through Star Wars and Close Encounters. But because Close Encounters and Star Wars, which came out within six months of each other, created this huge sci-fi boom that we're still in the middle of 43 years later. I love Close Encounters. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that came out. So this book came out, and my quest in life was to see every movie that was in this book. And um, Clockwork Orange was a, a, a movie I'd heard about, but, you know, I'm 13, and you couldn't rent movies, and... Nobody would tell me, like, when I'd ask people, actually, I probably didn't ask people because I was reading it in books. So when it finally came out on video, the the day it came out, I took it home. 
and I was I was 13 when I watched Clockwork Orange. So I'm like, <laughs> and it was the first. It was I didn't know what I was expecting, but it certainly it was the most mind blowing thing I ever saw, and it was the first movie in my life I watched. And as soon as it was over, I rewound it and watched it again hoping my mom or dad would not come downstairs and see what I was watching because I clearly at 13 <laughs> should not have been watching this movie. But but what what I was so fascinated by was even then, I didn't quite get it all, certainly the language, but I got kind of what they were saying and and it made me ponder the question and I would watch the movie and then I started reading about it then I got the book you know and the book is really hard to read because of the language it comes with glossary and you have to go back and forth and 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 I I ended up liking the film and I showed Talk it to, to you a lot after of, lunch yeah. <laughs> yeah and I would show it to my friends and I would get mad cuz they would get bored after the first half an hour after all the really the the, the, the villainy that went on and yeah. I'm like no, no you don't understand now this is when the movie gets really interesting now is when it when it starts to it starts to ask the questions uh, that it asks right. and I think with with contact my problem with contact is that it doesn't when 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 you've a- actually watched what happens in the movie and you've seen Ellie Arroway go through this thing and meet these aliens and then they pull back and they bring you back to the same question of of faith versus science we, but they haven't given us the faith side of it. They've shown us what science has brought you. They've shown you going through these conduits and meeting the aliens. But on the other hand, they haven't given you the same. They haven't given. They've done such a good job of dealing with both sides of the argument that I feel that that faith gets short shrift in the movie. If that makes any yeah, sense, it makes a lot of sense. And what what the David Morse character says is the answer to emptiness or nihilism, which is the thing that gnaws in the brain of all of us in our souls. Which is you know this is all for just shit. You know what is the point of all of this? And his answer is that we find comfort in one another. And that's kind of okay, but uh, I would have wanted more. You know, we yeah, find comfort I, in something else. You know, we found this thing. Tell me what it is. Show me the thing. Or don't even show me. Just tell me about it and say, you know, you're not, you know, that's a better way of saying you're not ready yet. You know, just tell me about a thing that you're going to learn about later. So that way I can be like, yes, I've seen it. And now I have faith that I'm going to learn about this. Because clearly the, the movie, it, it it doesn't really dance around it. it there's clearly some other intelligence going on and the whoever the david morse alien is i mean they discovered these what the transportation things someone else there's clearly someone else that built these things they found yep. them and they're there but just tell me that it's gonna be okay in some form <laughs> of the film that's well, what yeah, i want that's what yeah, we I mean, all because yeah, i actually i uh, appreciated that scene i appreciated that you know, and they said, like, you know, I figured it'd be more comfortable for you to see me rather than. I want to know there's a purpose. Just that's what we're asking for. That's why we're watching. Yeah. The I mean, also, you guys called us. You right. sent yeah. us your blueprints. Just tell us, I, answer questions for me. You know, and I would have said, like, even they say, like, here's the point when I would have liked to have heard David Morse also muse or wax rhapsodic and say, look, even though we're much more advanced than you are and we're part of a galactic community that you are going to be a part of, we have questions of existence that we don't know either. 
And right. even though we're so advanced and we're part of this galactic community that you'll be a part of, we still don't know the great answers of existence. Is there a God? Is there, you know, we ask ourselves that. And as far as we know, the universe, the wonder of the cosmos was here way before we were. And we don't know where it came from. Right. And we are still asking ourselves, <laughs> why are we here? What's going on? And that's why we're able to communicate with species such as yourselves, because we're asking ourselves the same questions, even though we're millions of years more advanced than you. And I think that would have been interesting to show that we can have a first contact with an alien species, but even that alien species is still grappling with their own religion and their right. own relationship right. with God. Yeah. And then you realize that what Palmer Joss was saying at the very beginning that the reason or, or asking Ellie, do you believe in God? Isn't it interesting that you meet these same advanced aliens that are technologically millions of years behind, ahead of us and they too are asking the same questions that we are? Fantastic. Fantastic point. Yeah. Absolutely great. Yeah, that might have, that, that, that would have been, yes. So we need to just rework <laughs> that ending. Well, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I think we live in a world now where, where we always judge movies based on what we wish they could be i certainly feel that way about rise of skywalker right but the <laughs> the the this movie I, I i i try and judge movies for what they are yes and i do feel it is a shortcoming of this film as much as i do love it and i do love this movie but it, it, it's not perfect because there is that shortcoming at the end you can't send us to an alien you can't prove ellie airway's point that science is real, there are aliens, we built this machine, but then give the question of faith short shrift. And I, I don't think that's fair. I, I, right. I think it's playing, because it, it, then it pulls back and then you, you have this hearing and everything and they, they, they make the question, they make the question sort of sophomoric in that, well, I believe her. Like, right. well, you know, motherfucker, you shouldn't believe her because she went through the thing. <laughs> like, like, like we right. watched it happen. So you can't, it, 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 the question of faith in science becomes moot because science, it worked. We right. saw well, the, it work. The proof of is, is in the static of the, the 18 hours of static. Yeah, yeah. you're not I left mean, with a whole the... lot there, right? Because what, well, what is <laughs> no. the science? All, but all, I mean, the that's... only evidence of the science is the, the static of 18 hours. Well, that's not right. satisfying either. No. So you're but, not saying <laughs> something Rob said. I don't know how long this conversation is, but something about the vastness of the universe. It is worth mentioning how great the the opening of this film is uh, with the music and just going out and out and out. I wish I wish I seen this film in the movie theater because it was maybe the most calming experience I've ever had watching a film i was just there pleasantly relaxed for like three minutes watching this uh, that's it's an amazing the, shot it's one yeah. of the greatest opening shots of any movie that's that that's the uh we, we always talk about this on the show i feel like i always bring it up uh <laughs> and you'll appreciate this rob is kubrick i feel like always does this is the tone setting at the beginning of a movie yeah you mm -hmm. know just a, a large sound and strange image he did it look with clockwork orange he did it with 2001 he did it with uh, uh many others yeah. <laughs> you know there's that tone setting you set for the movie to get you in the mood for the movie to get your mindset off of 
everyday activities. Everything. Yeah, it was yeah, clear. You know, and just, okay, I'm in this movie now. Like, what's going on? And, uh, yeah, I love that. Uh, I love that touch that, you know, filmmakers filmmakers do. Yeah, no, I look, I, I agree. And, you know, it's interesting because Zemeckis is very much a populist filmmaker. Yes. You know, you look at, like, Back to the Future, I think is one of the more perfect movies ever made from the uh, a script to story stamp. It's so enjoyable. Yep. You know, and, and, and he's done some really amazing things with visual effects and all that. But sometimes, from a story perspective, uh, he tends, sometimes style is over substance. And I, I find I find this, and but, but by the way, you know, this movie... Pretty, it skews pretty close to the book, so it is coming from Carl Sagan. I mean, the the great Carl Sagan, who right. one of my favorite books I ever read was a book he wrote called The Demon Haunted World, and it's all about science and our relationship to it and all of that. And um, I, I just feel that this film it does fall a little bit short with how it how it how it does end. And I would like to have, I really would have liked to continue. It's funny for me to say this, but I think faith deserved a little bit more. Yeah. And there were, it was a bit mocked with the, uh, they're talking about like the Rob Lowe character and of course the bad guy with the Jake Busey mm-hmm. character. But it, it, it's sort of, uh, it's the movie's almost, and this is of the 90s, but maybe it's almost a little too political in a sense. And it, it kind of, maybe uh, for the time for 1997 to make a point about the religious right, maybe versus being a timeless film about something that's good for all of humanity that could, who like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, I don't care about this Rob Lowe character. Like, I don't care about his concerns at all. You know, as I'm watching this now, maybe at the well, he is, like you said, he's very cliche. Yeah. And I, and I feel like, like, like it's funny for me to argue this point. I don't like it when I think one of the one of the problems that we have in this country is we we want to vilify everybody wants to vilify the other side. Yeah. And and I think that that a lot of religious inquiry is is very interesting and it's very it's very valid and it's very worthwhile. Even if like when I was a little kid, my best friend was Catholic and I used to go to church with him a lot. And it was very different than my experience as a Jew, but I loved going to church. I loved the the pageantry of it. I loved the um, it, 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 it. There was something about it that was very comforting to me. I mean, I'm talking about like when I went to his first communion, and and there was a time also when I was working at Warner Brothers when I was in my early 20s, when I would go to this evangelical, well, it was a, 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 a charismatic church here in Van Nuys with a producer friend of mine. She was a, she walked with the Lord, a believer. And I would go to that church and I really liked the, the pastor's name was Jack Hayford. And I used to go, it's called the church on the way. And I used to like to go, like she'd go take me to church. And sometimes I'd call her up and go, are you going to this church? Cause I just like to listen to his sermons. Yeah. And, and I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what he's saying. Whether you believe in whether you believe is that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior or not, there is value to being here. Right. You know there is value to being in this church yes. and meeting the people that are there and hearing Jack Hayford's sermons. Yes. And I, 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 I always thought that why is it 
that we are like on my show. I always say every person you meet has a story to tell you, you, you have yet to hear all you have to do is mm-hmm. listen. I just don't understand why there's so much hatred or, or, or tribalism between these kinds of points of view, because I've always found reading examinations of religion or science or philo- philosophy worthwhile. And, and if you close your mind off to these things and, and it's like, you, you can't, there's no value here unless you absolutely believe it. And I'm like, that isn't true. No. You know, there's, there's value in all of these experiences and all of human thought and endeavor and, and, and there's something worthwhile in it. And I think that at the end of the movie, you know, it would have been in, more interesting if the aliens said we, like she, she could have even asked, you know, is there a God? Is there a deity? And right. David Morris would say, we don't know either. <laughs> yeah. All, you know, all we know is this, the, the universe is a, a, an amazing, wondrous place. There's so much of it, even we don't understand. We're just, we're just now beginning to figure it out. But, you know, if he had said something about faith, I mean, the whole thing about small moves and all this, this is the way it's been done since, like, the way what has been done? What is the next move? What are yeah, we who, supposed to do yeah, after the movie's over? doing what? Yeah, and your point, Rob, I think, I think what you're saying is that just as Jodie Foster is doing her science to find the answer, so were you going to that church to find, you know, a similar answer. You know, we're all trying to, I think at the end of the movie, she says we're all trying to find truth, right? Right. And, 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 and truth can come in many different forms. Right. It could be through... I don't know, getting these signals from outer space, or it could be from you know a deity in the sky. And I think there, I, I, I have to believe, and in this movie is is trying to make that point that there is some convergence of the two. It doesn't do it in the best way, and maybe it's a little bit too of its own time or something like that. But this idea that, that uh, you know between faith and science. It, it it is a strong point that it's tr- it, it is you know it's not an easy one to square. Even us trying to talk through it is yeah, difficult. Yeah. And here we are criticizing a movie that's trying to do the same thing. Right. Uh, but you know, I, I think it's it, uh, this is kind of what the show is all about, which is these kinds of ideas. When we get a movie, I don't even think we really even talk through the plot all that much. <laughs> We're just <laughs> talking about the ideas of the film, and uh, it's the stuff that gets kind of kind of gets your brain churning. Well, I mean. If nothing else, isn't it interesting that a, a 1997 adaptation of a Carl Sagan book can generate this kind of discussion between the three of us? <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, many years later. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, some some uh, technical aspects before we wrap up. Uh, mm. well, well, first of all, I think Matthew McConaughey. Wrap up. Are we? Are we just getting started? Oh yeah, yeah. We're just to get getting started here. Uh, Matthew McConaughey in this movie, I thought was great. Ninety uh, seven, uh, obviously became the rom com guy. Uh, you know, soon after this in the early two thousands and everything like that. Uh, but I think he did uh, a phenomenal job in this movie as uh, the religious uh, philosopher. Um, He's a great actor. I don't yeah. I don't even know why he ever even got hate, even for his rom-coms. The guy's a Well, you know, even in this actor. movie, people said he was miscast. Really? If you read some... Yeah, there, there's people that say he was miscast. And I'm like, uh, you know, I've, I, I've met guys like him, you know, um, religious leaders or, or people that are, are 
going around the world that are are they're not just he he I thought he was very credible as a Me modern too. young uh evangelical or somebody that's that's it, 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 it's always bothered me. Like we live in this world now, even America that, that you've got religion is being pitted against science or liberalism is being pitted against conservatives, conservatism. Right. And I'm like, why aren't we all talking? Right. Like, it's like, sort of like I, one side is stupid and the other side is smart. And that's the I end hate, of the conversation. I hate that. I yes. hate it so much. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I, 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 I think that we should all, I mean, anybody that's trying to make sense of life, the experience of existence, like, why are we here? Right. Right. You know, those questions. I, I love Star Trek, obviously. Star Trek, the motion picture, when when Spock takes Kirk's hand and tries to explain what V'ger, this incredible intelligence, is yeah. asking. And, and V'ger's asking, is this all I am? Is there nothing more? Mm-hmm. That even V'ger, the ultimate logic in the universe, this gigantic machine thing is asking the same questions that we are. And I think that everyone who exists, any creature, I can only imagine any being, any sentient being across the universe, asks them asks themselves, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? Like, I can't just live and grow old and die. There must be some reason why I'm here. Yes. If I am the thermodynamic miracle that Dr. Manhattan talks about in Watchmen, yes. if I am that miracle, there must be a reason why there's only one of me in the entire infinitude of the universe. These are great questions to ponder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Absolutely. You know, that's, yeah, that's what we're doing here. Uh, yes. I mean, yeah, on I a mean, blockbuster movie podcast. Come right, on. We're doing yeah, great. Come on. <laughs> I, uh, and one other uh, technical aspect I wanted to mention was about the mirror shot when she runs up to try to uh, get her dad's medicine. Uh, you know, she's running up the stairs. It's one shot. And then we see it's a reflection in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Like this uh, this technical uh, achievement, uh, <laughs> for lack of better term, is amazing. I mean, yeah, it's it was just, really cool. uh, I don't what, know how they pulled uh, it off, to be honest. I saw yeah, it's uh, Rob as a you know, yeah, cool. uh, movie guy. How'd cool. they do it? <laughs> well, look, Robert Zemeckis, like James Cameron, was pushing the limits of what technology was capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And if you watch shots like that, or there's shots in his movie, What Lies Beneath, his yes. thriller, where they do some incredible camera pyrotechnics. I mean, all the way back to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and then when he was making Polar Express. and Zemeckis he, did What Lies Beneath? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Underrated I real, movie. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and there's a lot of crazy camera moves in that, too. And I think Zemeckis really liked playing with the technology, and he was pushing it. I mean, obviously, Contact has a lot of dated effects in it, but it was those sleight of hand tricks like how do you where's the camera when you can see a reflection in the mirror and he he really was pioneering techniques that were new and unusual and um i i uh uh again it's you know it's a combination of cg and practical work and green screen work but but he did a lot of that so what does that take? Does that take the a director to be like, okay, I want to do this thing. I have this idea in my mind. Yes. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. So a director, how it would go is like a director would have an idea for a shot. And then he would he would tell his talk to his either his DP, who would probably talk to his 
effects supervisor, his VFX supervisor, and they would figure out a way to do it. And they would have various effects elements and they'd have to shoot live action plates to know that they're going to finish them off later in post to create those kinds of things. I mean, now it's a lot easier to do. But back then, you know, 23 years ago, it was a lot harder. So to come up with these techniques, I mean, you know, he was he was the guy that was working with photorealistic, I mean, creating entire, like the Polar Express is that CG, creating yeah, CG yeah. people and all of that. He, he, was, he was at the cutting edge of, I mean, who framed Roger Rabbit when he was using 3D animation to bring animated characters that looked 3D into the real world. Right. And he, he really was an effects pioneer. And it's, it's kind of sad. Like, he hasn't done much lately. And his last movie, like, um, oh, the movie he did with Brad Pitt, and um, he did a World War II film. And uh, I forget what it's called. Allied. I think it's called Allied. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I was really disappointed in it. And I'll, you want to hear a funny story? Yes. Uh, more than <laughs> anything. So I was in... New Mexico. Uh, I'm going to tell the story anyway. So I was in New Mexico uh, with this girl Do I was it. dating, and I we were there. We were making a documentary, and we were in New Mexico, and we went to a spa in the mountains above Santa Fe. And this spa was like, it was a beautiful spa where they had all kinds of different mineral baths. Yeah, had sounds a great, great. It was fantastic. So I was bringing my... Uh, towels with me and to turn them in and I walk up to the counter and standing right next to me is Robert Zemeckis oh wow in in a spa in New Mexico (laughs) you know now I I don't know who he was there with I I will say that that he was there he was there uh, not to tell tales out of school but I I didn't see but I there was one person that he might have been there with clearly his wife uh sure (laughs) <laughs> maybe and and it was very funny because i had just watched 1941 spielberg's 1941 that he yeah. was one of the writers on right and it was so funny because here he is nobody knows who he is nobody at the spa would know who he is right and i turned and i look i mean i'm literally standing three feet away from him <laughs> uh, we're on the corner of a he we're on the corner of this counter i'm one place and he's next to me like i could reach out and pat him on the shoulder (laughs) and i just look up and it was so funny because it was almost like a reflex for me i'm like hey you're robert zemeckis and i could see that he's like god damn it (laughs) like like uh, i he did not want to be recognized and i i i I, I wasn't even thinking it was just it was one of those things like you look up and you're like it's robert zemeckis like how can i not say breaking story here on blockbuster mentality yeah uh... and, and and it was so funny and and i said to him i and he, he's like looking around, like, yeah, yeah. So I am. I go, hey, man, I got to tell you, you know, I just listened to, uh, just watched 1941. It just came out on Blu-ray. And <laughs> and uh, it was, I think the, the I listened to the audio commentary and all this. I'm like going on. And, I, and it was funny because I figured that was the first thing that popped into my mind was 1940. <laughs> of all the things I could have talked to him about, yeah, I should have right. been like, contact. Right. But I didn't. <laughs> And he could not get away from me fast enough, let me just tell you. Well, I've so. got a great story that pairs with that, which is along the same lines. I had the same – you're talking kindred spirit here. Uh, at my work office, this was a couple of years ago, my work building, I get into an elevator, and who walks in is Derek Jeter. And what did I say? 
hey, you're Derek Jeter. <laughs> it was just me and him in the elevator. And he goes, yep. And I go, <laughs> that was the end of the conversation. It was, yeah. the, it was the worst. It was the absolute worst. <laughs> well, wow. it, I mean, for me, you know, I, I think about all my, I told you my technique to talk to people from DVDs and stuff. But it, it's so weird because when, when, first of all, not you know Robert Zemeckis. It's he he's he's if you know what he looks like, he's a very distinct looking person. But in right. a and a spawns in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Why would you be like, imagining you'd be seeing him, right? Yeah, it, it was it was such for me. It was were such you a guys shocking, doing a sh- were you doing a schwitz? Well, yeah, I mean it was all different. Yeah, that's why I could have said that to him. I didn't. I should have. That would have been funny. Um, but but it was such a weird. It was so incongruous <laughs> to my experience. Like, I'm like, what, what? I want to be like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, <laughs> and he would have said, oh, I'm here, like, enjoying the spa yeah. like everybody else. Living like, my like, life. <laughs> but it's just because, like, how many people would even care or know? Like, right, it was just yeah. one of those moments where, and even I lost my, it wasn't that I wasn't cool. I, it was one of those things when you literally look up. And the, you're like, oh, my God, you're Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> you know, it just it just occurred to me. Right. Like, I, it was so uncool. Yeah. Like, normally I would have been, I, I, I would have been, excuse, excuse me, yeah. and under my breath, aren't you, aren't you Robert Zemeckis? <laughs> you know, and, and instead it was more like, oh, my God. And it was just a Did funny. I, and, and this was not that long ago. This was like oh. five years ago. Wow. Well, so, These are right. the stories we tell ourselves that we're smarter than we think. Ver- and, uh, Variety yeah. is going to be reporting this soon. So <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, he'll cancel me in Hollywood. That, <laughs> that kid never going to. I'm not a kid, but yeah. that guy's never going to work yeah. again. <laughs> what are you going to do? You still have beer. You know, you got wine, you know. Yeah. What, what are you going to do? <laughs> he's staying on YouTube uh, for the rest of his life. That's all he's going <laughs> to do. It's not a bad place. Is there anything else you wanted to say about contact, (laughs) Rob? Well, you know, it is a movie that I... uh, There are movies that I watch for comfort food. You know, I I go back to and just whenever I put them on, sometimes for no reason, if it's one of those movies where I I, I can't decide what to watch, I'll just throw it on. It's your tainted top. And yeah, and it's... it it, Yeah. (laughs) Did you say tater tot? Tater yeah. Tot, yeah, and it's it's like that. It's that's funny. I I love that. It's, it's my tater tots movie. You know, there's some frozen tater tots in the freezer. I'm not going to make something good. There they are. Let's go make them. We know but, what but Dave's it, comfort food is now. Yeah, I mean, I, but I like Contact because first of all, it's the ultimate wish fulfillment movie. Mm. Right. I want to be. I want to. I want to be Ellie Arroway. I want to be Jodie Foster in that movie. I want that to happen to me. Yeah. Well, we 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 kind of talked about your belief in God a little. Uh but what uh do you believe that there is life out there? Oh. Yeah. Okay. I mean 100%. And yeah. and I there there And this there movie is... kind of convinces you of that. Like it the, her talking about, you know, a million, you know, the, if you take one out of a million of this galaxy and a one out of a million of this, you know, and it's, you know, the, the, the chances are so are so high that there there there's intelligent life out. there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, I'm always fascinated by religion in science fiction stories. Um, there's a book I have up there called The Book of Strange New Things by Michael Faber 
who also wrote uh, Under the Skin that Scarlett Johansson starred in a, a movie called uh, yeah, about yeah. based on that book, and she plays an alien. Right. But I, I just think that that like let's let's just let's roll down and and let's just say God exists, the God of the Old Testament who created the heavens and earth exists. Why would he just put creatures on one planet in the entire <laughs> infinitude of creation? Like right. why would he just do one? Like it makes it makes no sense to me. Like you wouldn't. Why then would you create the entirety of the heavens? That is, it, it, I mean, there's a. I have to say, when I was making my film Free Enterprise, the the pub, the the deep field photograph from the Hubble telescope was published, and it was mm-hmm. in a foldout National Geographic, and it was a picture the Hubble telescope took of not stars, but galaxies. Uh-huh. <laughs> and each galaxy and I, I i was working on the star trek experience uh cutting stuff for the star trek experience in vegas and i literally for like a week i had an existential crisis where i was looking at this picture every day that i put up and and it was really the infinitude of the universe in yeah. the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy they called it the total perspective vortex yeah, yeah, yeah. where you see yourself in relation and you realize how insignificant you are and I really had a problem. I'm like, if the, if the universe is so vast, nothing we do, like one day a solar flare can come and like at the end of the movie, knowing that Alex Preuss directed a solar I flare. I really can, like that movie. I do. Too. I love that yeah. movie. <laughs> and what if that happens? And then all of human history, all of our folly, everybody who lived, everybody who died will just yeah. be burned away in an instant and nobody will care. Yep. Right. And, and, and I just, I had that, that thing happened and and i it was for like a week i had a hard time i couldn't sleep i was i was anxious all the time and i'm like what does my life mean you know and it, it, maybe if i had a priest or a, a, a pastor or somebody i could have gone to talk to i could have been like right. listen man i saw this picture of what god created and we're just going to give you the david morse answer was i don't fucking know <laughs> yeah i know that would be good i don't know <laughs> Oh man, but uh, yeah, I mean, so I mean, that's basically that's contact for you, folks. Uh, now, uh, Rob, we uh, we do a rating system here at Blockbuster, <laughs> Blockbuster Mentality. Uh, of course, we um, you know got to do that. Uh, we rate it on stars and buckets of popcorn. So stars mm. is the actual quality of the film. So you know maybe your Godfather's your cinematic quality. Yeah. Right, cinematic quality. Dave always, you know, is upset at how much I explain this, over-explain it. Because it's the worst explanation ever, every single time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is what it is. Um, and then po- buckets of popcorn is the entertainment quality. Yes, and we go at a scale of one to five. Uh, so, you know, a scale of one to five stars in terms of quality, one to five buckets of popcorn in terms of your entertainment value. Uh, you want me to start? Give my rating first. Go for it. Go for it. Okay, so I'm gonna give this thing four stars, despite its problems, because it really, it really gen, it generates these kinds of conversations that we've had. And I think our show, if anything, it's about ideas. It's about themes. It's about it's about things that make us really want to. The, the, the things that just kind of churn in our head that nod our brain that we can't help but think about and talk about. And that's kind of why we do a show. And I think this movie 
so good for Rob to suggest doing this one because I haven't seen this one in so long, but it was great. It was a great ride despite its flaws. So I'm going to give this thing four buckets of popcorn. I'm sorry, four stars rather, and uh, three buckets of popcorn. It's not the most entertaining film in the world, but it's still a it, it is still a good ride. I think this would this one would have been great in a movie theater. So um, yeah. going oh, first. it was. Four stars and three buckets. And by the way, we did the master last episodes, last episode, and I only gave it three stars. So I'm saying, I'm saying, Contact is a better movie than the master. Wow, son yeah. of a bitch! Because <laughs> um, we're watching uh, it, I'm like, what the hell is even going on here? Anyway, so that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a whole another story. Um, so yeah, I'll give this. Uh, yeah, I love the philosophical uh, themes in this movie. I love it. Uh, just uh, just totally uh, enthralls me. Totally grabs me in. Um, yeah. I'll give this thing. Uh, <laughs> Oh yes, it's tough, but well I chosen. Uh, I'll give it four stars. Oh, um, this but is copying. Yeah, no, well, yeah. Uh, two two buckets of popcorn. Uh, you know, it's not. You know, I I could see you know the average movie watcher just not being entertained by this. Uh, you know, it's not, you know, your Jurassic Parks, your diehards, you know, everything like that. Uh, so four stars, two buckets of popcorn, uh, is my rating. Uh, no half there, huh? Normally you're trying no, to, yeah, I didn't half. do halves. So yeah, Rob, we can do halves. You can do thirds uh, if you want, or if or thirds, <laughs> fourths, you know, whatever you want. Well, I have to say that, you know, when it comes to rating, movies i sort of have a philosophy that i i never pit one movie against another yeah i have to rate the movie in terms of what what do i feel the intent was behind the film itself and did the filmmakers succeed in doing what they set out to succeed or set out to do and and the idea is like comparing and contrasting like lawrence of arabia to me would be a five bucket of popcorn and five star film mm-hmm. However, if you were going to compare that to, say, Die Hard, I think for Die Hard is also a five-star and a five-bucket-of-popcorn movie. But if you tried to compare and contrast the two and go, well, so are you saying that Lawrence of Arabia and Die Hard are equal? I would be like, well, no, they're not. They, they shouldn't be compared in terms of a scale because they both succeeded admirably at what they set out to do. Yes, but right. Die Hard wasn't trying to outdo Lawrence of Arabia. They're very different films. That and that's I think that's what exactly we. Right. Uh, I, I'm still bu- feeling self conscious over our, our guest uh, from last from the master, and uh, he really liked the movie, and I struggled with it. But go no, I, but 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 that's the thing. I mean, that's. Uh, you know that's why we came up with this rating system. Yeah, we're still is because trying to work out the kinks now. I don't know. If stars? Rob or not. No, no, no. I, so what I would say, what I would say to uh, this is going to seem strange, but I would give this movie, and I love this movie, three and a half stars. But I would give it four buckets of popcorn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I would give it because. Because there's a lot of it. I, I mean, I love watching. I find this movie wildly entertaining for me personally. But as a movie, I can't. I got to give it three and a half stars because there's too many things in it. As much as I love it, as yeah, much as I find yeah. it incredibly rewatchable, there's things in it that 
that I think fall short. Yeah, definitely makes sense. But I, uh, lo- I, I still love the movie. Yeah, I mean, no, three I mean, and a half stars I, yes. isn't a bad score. I mean, that's that's a decent score for a movie. I would, if I made a movie and you gave it three and a half stars, I'd be like, <laughs> "Wow, Rob Robert Meyer Burnett gave me three and a half stars on my movie. Four buckets of popcorn. You know, it's that's, uh, that's I'm, well I'm done. Ex- yeah, and you know, I say four bucks of popcorn because of how many times I've rewatched this movie. Right. Yeah. And there, that's that's what we mean by that rating. So, yeah, I mean, if that's something you want to con- constantly I, go back to, then, yeah, I mean, there great. are movies there are movies that I'm surprised how many times I've rewatched them. This is one of those movies. Yeah. Another one of those movies is David Fincher's The Social Network. Really? I think okay. The Social Network is one of the most re- I love that movie. I could watch it over. I mean, yes, I'll watch godfather i've seen i saw empire strikes back in the theater 26 times i mean that's a different Mm. but there are movies that come along that i'm surprised the combination of the characters the actors the direction the writing all of that that i'm surprised at movies that i particularly love that on the surface i shouldn't love them as much as i do but the social network is i don't know why i can I, i i watch that movie all the time and I just I I love it so much. And there's not not a lot happens really. It's all you know? subjective, my man. It's all subjective. Know. You know, and, it's uh, I love that movie too. It's uh, the score is just amazing. Jesse Eisenberg. I'm actually you know I'm not a so huge good. fan of, uh, but in in social in that network, movie, he's yeah he's he's great. He has a very uh, obnoxious quality. And this film, I think the the stars for me comes from again the ideas, the themes. I mean, this is yeah, this is this this is this the circle I'm trying to square in my in my own life, and I I would assume you know most 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 thinking people are. Um, And I we didn't quite get there, but I it showed me some kind of a path forward possibly. Um, And the fact that again, you know, we're we're thinking of this stuff. It's it's in my mind, you know. How do we how do we solve this problem? It's is is it intractable? I don't know. Maybe maybe the dad said that all sucks. Where I'm fake and you just go back to the earth. It doesn't matter. I don't know. <laughs> I don't believe that. I think there is an answer, and I want to keep striving for that answer. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, because I, the the funny thing about it is, like we're here. Like, uh, do we have to know why we're here? We're here. <laughs> so right. so why not like. I think life is pretty great. I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So being I like being alive. <laughs> I, I really like being alive. Um, uh, the, what, what, Kubrick, what did, what did, uh, private, I think private, uh, private Joker said in full metal jacket, the dead only know one thing. It's better to be alive. Exactly. Yep. You know, and I, yeah. I agree with that. Life is pretty great and it'll yeah. end soon enough. So I'm in no hurry to get to that end. Right. You know, I'm not. Even I if it wait. is the Grey Havens, and I would, the Grey Havens sound amazing, but I'm not quite sure that they exist. <laughs> yeah, I, I, or, or if they do, I, I don't want to spend the rest of my days there. And uh, l- life is all I've ever known. So, you know, it's just uh, I really I really enjoy it. Oh, so terrifying. <laughs> I do, too. And I hope I can see Tenet in an IMAX theater next oh, month. Oh, yes. Please, please, <laughs> please, please. All right, folks. Well, that that is Contact. That is 1997's Contact. Robert Zemeckis, Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, Rob, uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Uh, well, thank you for you having know. me. It's been an honor to be here. 
Yes, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. We love uh, this. Has been a very fun discussion. Uh, where where can people find you? What projects are you working on? What uh, what are your last words? <laughs> well, well, people mentality. can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett, or find me on my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations, the show about something which I do pretty much every day. I'm also on the John Campia show a lot, usually Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. And there's a film that I uh, produced called Tango Shalom. And I like to tell people it's an indie Jewish spiritual quest family dance comedy fable. Because the world needs more of those. Yeah, for Uh, sure. Look for that somewhere. (laughs) And then, of course, a very lurid and bloody horror film I produced, The Hills Run Red, uh, came out on Blu-ray from Scream Factory this week. And for those of you who are like, what well, came out on a disc out 20th century. <laughs> but if you still collect uh, physical media, as I do, there's a lot of great special features on it. The movie's 81 minutes, but there's six and a half hours of new special features and two more hours. So there's a total of eight and a half special features, eight and a half hours of special features on a movie that's only 81 minutes. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. So look for that. It's out. Wow. It came out this week. There you Fantastic. go, folks. We will be looking for that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, you can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, review us, rate us, everything. Anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, you can find our Twitter at BlockbusterCast. I am at BCCore. Dave, where can they find you? You can find me at Dave underscore Quist. And uh, please check out uh, Rob Servations every day on YouTube. Great stuff. I've been following it pretty much every day for the last six or seven months then rob is amazing as you can tell by listening to this episode Absolutely. oh you're too kind <laughs> uh rob it's been a pleasure and uh all right folks well that is it for us for rob and dave i am ben and as always grab some popcorn grab some snacks we'll catch you guys at the movies 